So before we get started this week, I want to give a call out to a website, RPGcasts, that's R-P-G-C-A-S-T-S dot com, which is a big old collection of tabletop role-playing game podcasts. Lots of commentary, lots of actual play, all sorts of different stuff. Very fun to dig through and find new shows. Radio Free Damos is a recent addition to their family, so I'm really excited by that. RPG Casts prominently features uh, podcasts with female hosts and female players. That's a perspective that is maybe underrepresented in gaming podcasts and one that they strongly promote. They also have a category for LGBTQ hosts, which you can find us there. So again, very glad to be part of that and go and see what they've got to offer. Radio Free Deimos, an Ixon Draconis fan podcast broadcasting from Asaph Hall at Lake Voltaire on Deimos. This year for Christmas, give your loved ones the gift that keeps on giving. Evacuation plans. This is episode 30, oh, round number, of Radio Free Deimos, Epic Destinies. With me this week, as always, are my co-hosts, Ashtar, Wines, and I'm Corbeau. Hello. Hi. Yo. So before we get started with this week's topic, I'd like to ask you a question. What do you think the end of your epic quest is going to be? This is not a morbid question. I think this is exciting. Death. It's a morbid answer. It's a morbid answer. <laughs> Can you care to elaborate on that or just death? <laughs> uh, if you're talking about before the end. Um, Screaming. <laughs> from other people, hopefully. Right. <laughs> This, I, I can't remember what, what it's from, but someone's saying it. I, I want to die in my in my sleep like my father, not like the people on the bus he was driving. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an emo Phillips joke. <laughs> so mine is to get back to Terra somehow, find the last remaining copy of the Chicago Manual of Style, and correct all of the grammar on Solnet. We need to spawn some AIs to do that. Yes, that's part of it. It's going to be very complicated. Probably involve one of those uh, cerebral enhancement units. It's going to be a mess. You don't think small, do you? This is epic, sir. We're going epic. <laughs> Might as be told by a female hyena that something I said was not utterly stupid. We can all dream. Yeah, you think I'm dreaming. <laughs> I'm dreaming. Yeah. And in all honesty, mine would be to disappear. Just be somewhere anonymous with enough money not to care. And no one knows where I am anymore. Drop off the grid. Exactly. That's hard to manage in a system with a, such a pervasive grid. Good luck. <laughs> Not with lasers. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take your communications laser and raise it with a turbo laser. <laughs> so over the last couple of weeks, we've had a few episodes that have leaned perhaps not heavily enough on some of the material from the upcoming Sound and Silence book. And this has put me into a, a spin and kind of a tizzy on the subject of spoilers. I really don't like them very much. 
I'm not sure everybody cares as much as I do, but I, I hate the idea of messing up the plot for a module or something like that. But the, the game author points out that in alluding to some of the facts and things that are hidden in, in the GM section of Sound and Silence and not going there, I've made it sound kind of like they aren't there at all and that the product has less content than perhaps it actually does. And it has quite a bit of content. So I'm going to be a bit braver about spoilers, not worry about the level two spoilers and the level three spoilers too much, and maybe shove the level four spoilers to the back of the episode behind a bumper. That's my current plan. No one's going to fight me on this. Sure, go for it. Because they don't have the TTI podcasting software. <laughs> so is there any news yet of the uh, HSD swimsuit calendar? No, because they're not sure where to put the support top on a tar. Does it go under the legs or over the legs or around the chest? Wherever the tar likes. <laughs> yes. That's fair. Okay. And oh God, the like raptor posture people in a bathing suit, that'd be really just kind of strange looking. Hmm. <laughs> we are drifting far afield. We are lover's stance positive around here, <laughs> sir. <laughs> yes. Why? It's <laughs> <laughs> like 0.1% of the population. And because of them, we have to have extra copies of all of the flyers and signs on the floor. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, also, I think for the calendar edition, like the bioluminescent is just going to show through that. Oh, cool. It's going to show right through the nylon. I mean, that's my favorite month. <laughs> I know. It's just kind of, kind of cool looking. The, the, the month of Glovember. <laughs> <laughs> but guys, it's like in the middle of the winter. Well, it's actually like seven Kelvin outside. <laughs> Not swimming time. Okay, regardless. So this week's episode kind of spins out of the episode we previously had on becoming a corp CEO, during which we talked a little bit about the Dungeons & Dragons 4th Ed concept of Epic Destinies, which, if you played that edition, or if you listened last week, is sort of the character terminal peak of their story, the end of the epic quest where after they ascend to godhood or become the lonely king on the mountain of skulls, or the archetypical hero, things like that. They are no longer player characters at that point. They become part of the universe, NPCs, part of the background, mm -hmm. etc. Not playable. And it's an amazing coincidence how five of these demigods are born on the same night. <laughs> hey, demigods meet in bars too. <laughs> so down that end, I want to look at some of the other ideas that Exundraconis has for capping your character story, uh, again, character terminal plot points. I think there's there's quite a lot of them. I had this very incoherent list of corpse and ideas and destinations and varieties of godhood that Ashtar rather cleverly suggested that we frame around the attribute categories, which makes a lot of sense. He has filled every piece of paper on the station. <laughs> Send help. It's a very small station. And part of that was you were talking about um, kind of D&D character classes being the mode that the Epic Destinies are, are made from. Very loose grouping, but yeah, it's kind of there. You're eloquent tonight. I'm going to enjoy <laughs> this. <laughs> so the Epic Destinies are kind of the stub ends of the eight or ten character classes they started out with, now more like 16, and the four or five character roles like healer, support, striker, etc. And they are kind of bound up in D&D's class ideas. There's not really an analogy for that in Exendraconis, but the 
attributes kind of suggest broad character ideas, mind, body, community, finance, and it's as good a mold as any to frame things. So I guess <laughs> is this going to be one of those episodes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I guess that kind of puts us in the category of body to start, since that's the first column on the character sheet. Epic destinies that are tied to your character's physical modifications, physical enhancements. Ixundraconis has a strong body horror and body enhancement theme. It's post-human. It's a good place to begin. In the new Sound and Silence lore book, there's an interesting storyline ending quest in the Empyrean, which we learned about in the first Dixundraconis book. It's a grotto filled with strangely mythical creatures, mostly blips, but vectors whose bodies are legendary in the way they're built or put together, maybe their appearance. And this is one of the more kind of Star Trek-y places in HSD. The various... Vectors in the Empyrean have tiers and strata of society that's built around the idea of becoming gods. And over time, in this very low-gravity grotto they live in, they can aspire to be truly great monsters and things of divinity. They call themselves the Pantheon. And this seems like the pinnacle of the mountain of uh, bio-enhancement, or certainly one image of it, mm -hmm. becoming maybe not literally a god, but at least a mythical figure. Post-vectorism, if you will. Yeah, it's kind of a return to... Well, it's not quite feral. It's something transcending vector and animal. Right. Not necessarily moving backwards in evolution to precursors, but moving forward and pushing the body to whatever you see the end point of vectorism is on the physical level. And the Inferian is a very decadent and strange society where really all sorts of behavior kind of goes. So you're not only losing track of your physicality, but the social norms that kind of bind you to vector society as well. I mean, really, this is maybe not the end of being a vector, but it feels like the ultimate dehumanization, certainly. Anytime that you're looking at extreme body modification to transformative body modification, you are kind of leaving humanity behind at that point. For an entire cluster or group of such society, they really are remaking both their body and their society in whatever image they think best. Having artificial evolution in a way, a very directed self-evolution, taking full advantage of the fruits of technology at that point. It's still fundamentally a very vector expression of self, though, because the vectors are so very keen on body modification, kind of as a species thing. It's, it's a part of who they are. It seems like a, a, a not illogical direction to, to go. You're not rebelling against yourself at that point, but you are, I think, deviating significantly from your race predecessor, whether that be human or fox, <laughs> whatever came before. Mm -hmm. Not entirely out of line with that vision of immortality, and it is immortality, the creatures there have lived for centuries, is uh, what Pulse offers its executives as their part of retirement package. This is uh, pretty top-tier executives, probably maybe their shadow president, CEO, or someone who's closed more accounts than Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, what's, what's the bank? Western Union? <laughs> Topical. Predictably, your corp board member retirement package at Pulse involves a lot of immortality treatments. And... 
as a longtime supporter of that company, as a pillar of it, you are given really as much life as you care to have. And Impulse, that life is pretty satisfying. It's a very competitive company, lots of challenges to create and overcome. And smash. <laughs> and smash. And some people take extreme pulse body modification to become titans if they want to. But Pulse has access to bioprinters and some of the greatest sports arenas in Seoul, like all of the greatest sports arenas in Seoul. And one thing they offer their retirees is the chance to come back occasionally as the monster of the week in an arena battle, which is kind of amazing coming back to antagonize lower ranking people, challenge the rising stars as a uh, former celebrity yourself. Is it very Valhalla, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, I think, one of the terms they use. It's like a corporate Valhalla. <laughs> and even beyond that, some of the ancient and venerable contributors to Pulse, they get weary of this endless thing and take their sunset years in Venus as a part of Venus's astonishing and bizarre local wildlife. It's no, no, no. It's hinted that Venus has dragons and other strange, unique creatures. And this is the cause of some of those legends huh. over the hill uh, pulse employees. And as a part of that, you know, they've abandoned their immortality treatments. They're going to eventually fade out into legend, which is kind of beautiful. And to take this in a different direction, I think another good example that that would fall under the body header would also be the explorer. So instead of staying within soul and seeking kind of inward perfection or body perfection, it'd be to look outwards, to to escape what soul has and to go through the great the great dark, the inky void, what have you, and find your find your path out there. It doesn't quite have the same sort of immortality, but it does fall under the same level of epic destinies. And it doesn't... Do you not agree? Hmm? No, I totally agree. I think that's a, a valid point. You can go a lot of different directions in this, but with Lightspeed technology opening up, the opportunity to go to any of the nearby stars is you know quite there. And that's a journey of... Well, probably a journey of years on its own. But... You know, the my God, it's full of stars approach is is, I think, a very reasonable thing to reach for. Uh, we don't know where Hydra came from. And there's mysteries beyond the orc cloud that need discovering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a couple of other other routes there. And I want to hold off on some of those into the uh, mind section because they're so heavily tied to transcendent technology. Mm -hmm. Going back to the topic of the idea of exploration as your, your final destiny. One thing that Sound and Silence discusses is... Hydra as sort of a virus that's spreading and Terra is was its first target here Soul is its current project but beyond that it's going to spread and spread until kind of the light of the galaxy is extinguished and in terms of epic destiny or just major plot arc trying to out, outpace it and get beyond that to find the solution that's outside of Terra outside of Soul is could be a really strong story on its own. A little like Moana, actually, where they have to leave their little island safe zone to find their answers elsewhere. I think this really fits with the end of the story side of the Epic Destiny a lot more than the immortality side of the Epic Destiny, though. The, the, the champions or the heroes that are heading off into the great unknown to fight the good fight away from, be it Earth or the country, is kind of a tried and true uh, story mechanism. And 
in many ways, it is the end of the story because whether it's the end of the book or the end of the tale, the next focus would, would not be on the unknown because it's just too far outside of what the audience can comprehend or conceive of. We have people talking about Mars as, um, as a one-way trip to go there to be to kind of give their lives or any hope of returning home for science and exploration. So it's, it's both. I mean, going somewhere irretrievably, you become kind of a martyr to knowledge and, and a historical figure. One that's maybe a little less epic, but still kind of closing of the story is, uh, it's a recurring idea in a lot of uh, aquatics stories is the, the going feral. The sharks have a bad habit of doing this, of just returning to the wild, living underwater, losing humanity and becoming not a monster, but just a, a creature, kind of giving up the mindfulness of vector society, of all the crazy corporation stuff, and just returning purely to, quote, nature, unquote. I don't know if I'd necessarily call that an epic destiny, but I do think it fits as end of story discussion, because that also brings in a couple of the other ways that a character can more or less no longer become a PC. Becoming, going feral or returning to nature and kind of that is the end of the story as far as the PC or the story is concerned is certainly one way to go. But getting too hooked or too far gone with Vitae will move a PC to more of an NPC. The same way that going too, too far into the uh, living armor, the living skin can also kind of remove a PC from the game. I didn't feel like, I mean, I was looking at Vitae Demons in particular as uh, a character ending story moment. Vitae is a substance, kind of a miracle drug that can preserve life more or less, or at least mobility and deadens pain. So you get some people, vectors addicted to Vitae that don't mind it when their body is replaced by things like chainsaws and such and become maniacal. What is the series with Bill Pullman and the Golden Compass? That's someone that's a, else. That's a different Pullman. Living Dead, Ash. Yeah. Well, I don't know where I was going with that sentence now. Chainsaw Hands. Evil Dead. Uh, Evil Dead. I Evil feel Dead. really bad that I don't know this. <laughs> Let's not actually play that clip because we'll sound like idiots. No, I'm going to rewind that <laughs> entirely. We, we will lose all nerd cred. It's a super soldier serum, more or less. It makes people not worry about pain so much and survive ridiculous wounds. Heads can keep going detached from the body, and it tends to lead vectors addicted to it to replacing parts of their bodies with bladed instruments and chainsaws and becoming rampaging monsters in a sort of evil dead to mindset not good stuff i'd looked at that when i was building my inevitable list of epic destinies and it didn't feel like that was an epic destiny so much as an epic failure but hmm. but it's definitely a, a character terminal story but i wouldn't call something like fatal drug addiction or exploding in a firework accident or whatever necessarily an epic destiny as just kind of a end <laughs> going out big <laughs> yeah kind of along along the vitae demon lines is the entelomorphic flesh which is that strange substance in the back well you turn into a strange substance in the back of the uh, core extended book it replaces your body with nanites and things and at its low level you can morph a bit and flow through doors and such at its higher level you turn into a 
pool of sentient character goop. I don't think you necessarily ever lose yourself entirely, but you do start to kind of drift apart psychically and lose some portions of your identity. That does feel like kind of the ultimate leap of technophilia, body modification, but you're still kind of a character as well. Maybe there's a step where you, a step beyond that, where you dissolve into the nothing of the world, but that's it's a, that's a fusion of yellow. Yeah. Thank you. But that seems more of a um, kind of personal plot arc than necessarily the end of a story or the end of a, of a character's tale. It is very kind of high heroic epic tier, though, just that total loss of self. Mm-hmm. So we've touched on a bunch of body epic destinies. They're really just transcendent, changing into something that is completely not the self. Do we have any examples that are... Examples that are not so completely transcendent, but still kind of the end of a character. Like, would you consider being, oh, the the most perfect sniper, all the best gears, all of the best weapons, basically the end of the road and untouchable by like any the, logical standard? Like an, an expert? Find the, the premier galaxy known bounty hunter? Or a martial arts master, or... I mean, the martial arts master doesn't necessarily take into the technological and aspect of HSD. It does cover a lot of the body mod part, but you can cover a lot of the same thing with the ultimate bounty hunter, a half man, half machine, perfect being with the cutting edge best technology and their own personal ship that nobody can catch, nobody can touch. And the, the system is out on a hunt for. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that description almost comes right out of Star Wars, but th- there's plenty of other examples. Would you consider that an epic destiny that would be a game ender at that point? I think that'd be kind of a deal you'd have to make with a game master because for some people having a character that's so skilled and in the game, the game terminology for this is preeminent. That's where you are so skilled that you can determine what the dice rolls are for your game master. That's... Not necessarily, that's for some people, that's where they wanted their character to be in the first place. We talked a lot about last week about the guy who was just the best at X or Y or Z, and this is just being the best at X or Y or Z in a very demonstrable way. So is that necessarily a character ending pinnacle? I don't, I don't think so, unless you've decided in advance that it is. If your character's entire life is bound up in being the greatest swordsman. Right. Your first option would be having slain the person that previously held that title to claim it as your own and sit on your laurels. The other is to defend your title against the next runner up that's going to try and take you down because you murdered his father. There are options. So no, not necessarily, but it depends on how you how you want your story to, to, to fade. At that point, maybe you play the same character for three years and it's time to move on. Yeah. Or for me, three sessions. <laughs> So let's shift over to the world of the mind now. And I've kind of filed a large category of transcendent destinies under this one. I think we've had our first taste of what a sort of character annihilating ending might be in the owl scenario, which is what happens when a living creature fully transcends. One option is they can become a horrifying thing. Would you still consider that a transcendent or would that be a failed destiny? 
I don't know. It depends on what you've been playing at. Um, a lot of TTI's technology is really double-edged, and the left-hand path can take you down some really dark roads. I mean, look at the way most of the transcendent implants destroy you at their final peak. I mean, any of those... We should probably elaborate here a little bit. Any of the transcendent implants can really erase you from existence in a variety of ways. Creative and messy ways. Yes, mm. spectacular ways. So a transcendent implant is space wizardry. I think it's safe to call it that. At least in first ed, uh, at least in first edition HSD, they are nearly magical implants slash injections slash transformations that give your character a timer to self-destruction. One of them might be something that lets you ignite small things in your hand at the lowest level. And at the highest level, you turn into a massive four-story fire elemental where anything you look at is annihilated in blasts of flame and nuclear heat, Oof. at which point your body can't sustain this and you you go away. <laughs> you, you, you are ash. The teleportation one, at its low levels, you can make small objects vanish and reappear. Middle levels, you can teleport yourself across a room. At the highest level, you may end up in the the vast, it's called, the beyond. Any of these things has elements of that kind of story-capping finale, but feels like more, well, depending on how your game master you framed it, it feels more like an accident than a, than a quest end. I believe you phrased it very well before. Those sound more like epic failures. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Uh, although sort of an inevitable arc for someone that really uses that technology to its highest potential. But there are transcendent destinies that are not so self-annihilating. The Sound and Silence book opens up the concept of near cool realms, which are echoes of this reality that are starkly different. One of them, I think it's called Swarm. People move together in kind of psychically linked masses and attempts to be different are regarded as tragic um, and possibly insane actions. And the herd is so strong that it draws people into it. And for some strange reason, whispers drift like rain from the heavens. It's a very strange alternate world that's kind of scary, hmm. but there's many other realms like this. And any one of them is a transcendent quest to get there, possibly to escape from, but maybe one of them is something more like a God realm, some place where your transcendent potential is inevitably reached in a way that is not annihilating. Who knows? These are infinite realms, infinite realms of dimensional hopping. Yeah. It's not quite sliders. They're harder to escape. <laughs> Some of the hints dropped before Sound and Silence talk about, uh, I want to call them the great old ones, and they're not, they're the Nephilim, which are things from beyond. For those of you that have read your Lovecraft, understanding those creatures and joining those creatures and being annihilated by those creatures are all kind of interchangeable goals. So there's another place where transcendent technology could be the story end of a character is uniting in some way with these with these massive biological constructs and not massive, but massively powerful. There's some hint that they are possibly vectors originally, or at least 
biological creations that could be hmm. made in some way. I don't know. I haven't read up on them yet too deeply. Although much like the Lovecraftian side, you don't necessarily have to be invested with TTI to be eaten. It, it, it <laughs> does sometimes spill over and just start taking uh, the common man. <laughs> you might just be next door. In the three-year Dungeons & Dragons campaign we were in, my character's personal quest was to resurrect a dead god. Uh, there was a god of gnolls that he was a very passionate worshiper of. But if you look at the cultist of a dead god uh, epic destiny, which is written up somewhere, if you bring your god back to life, it's very likely that as his only priest, you are devoured by him in his rise to rise back to divine power. So for a religious figure or a spiritual figure, the, the rapture in many stories is also the end of your existence. You've mm -hmm. joined the godhood and are spread thinly among the stars and it. Well, that's a good one. I, I don't think that's just in Dungeons & Dragons. I think that's um, kind of the nature of certain forms of reincarnation. Um, the divine is eminent, and in ascending to it, you lose yourself in it. And that might be seen as a good thing. So did you have anything else TTI related? Do we want to get into the crunchy stuff? Uh, no, I think that was, that was kind of it. Owls, level five, level five cool events and losing yourself in a near realm. That was most of my transcendent footnotes. Hmm. Because I know you've been dying to talk about ASR. I do like ASR. <laughs> Which falls squarely in the mental, of course. I think so too. Um... I think more than anybody else, ASR has a lot of at least life-ending plot lines. But uh, your your body is not the only thing that ASR values. They also have uh, some strong ties to your intellectual property. And, uh, well, the vectors don't believe in the soul. So that saves some time. There's a really great episode of the series Black Mirror where two of the characters uh, we learn are older dying and they encounter each other in this digital world where they're able to spend you know a couple of hours a week but the ultimate reward is that uh when they die someone throws the switch and ends their life formally but their mind is uploaded into the digital realm and they can live forever in storage units and databases and eternal celebration and parties or the ultimate happy ending. It's a really sweet story, mm -hmm. a, a complex love story. It's really nicely done. Uh, I'll remember what the episode title is in the show notes, I guess. Yeah. It really makes <clears throat> a, a very strong case for good, good power backup. Yeah. I, I was kind of wondering what happens when the janitor accidentally pulls the plug on these things. Hopefully they kept backups. And somewhere in um, ASR's lore, there's a group of people that have done just this, that they have downloaded themselves and transcended the mortal to become digital ghosts. That doesn't quite fit in my mind with the idea of Epic Destiny because that may just be another plot arc or a lifestyle choice. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> kind of sad, but ASR over the centuries has toyed a number of times with the idea of a purely virtual world, and it never quite goes there. It flirts there, but it doesn't live there. But some people view it as an option. And of course, the cogs end up there in their own kind of death story. They go to the great thumb drive in the sky, 
which is more like death and less like heroic destiny, but it kind of falls into the same story idea. I think we talked in a much earlier episode about The Ship That Sings. Is that what it was called? The Anne McCaffrey series about the cybernetic ship? Yeah, yeah. I think one of our earliest questions and opinions was someone asking if a cog could become a ship's artificial intelligence. And that unity with the machine actually ties really well into the idea of exploring the universe in, in the specific the specific mold. You know, go on to the great beyond and lose track of your humanity again. <laughs> actually, could uh, c- connect that to the Clifford D. Simiak story, The Complete Werewolf. No, not The Complete Werewolf. The Werewolf Principle. That didn't actually have werewolves in it, so I lost interest. It had a wolf in it, kind of. Uh... I think that the, the premise of that story is that they had developed a imprintable organism. The ship would fly from planet to planet, and then they digitize a member of a species and read that into this protoplasm biological robot that would then take on the form and personality of one of these creatures, hmm. send it among its people, it transmit back, and then eventually come back to the ship and be recalled, turned back into its proto-state for use again. But when you made a copy of, of one of the aliens, that alien's brain would also be fed into it and that they were not actually being erased. They lived on inside of it. And as of the story, they, they were kind of getting to know each other and forming a kind of a gestalt individual. And one of the personalities was a somewhat wolf-like, like a non-anthro wolf alien, thus the title of the story, the, the, the werewolf principle. But at the end of that story, the character kind of realizes that just he is not part of humanity, that that he and his alien brothers slash alternate personalities will eventually become one person. So they're sent off in the universe in their own ship to explore it on their own as their own, representing no one but themselves. Kind of classic older sci-fi. We'll avoid the unhappy ending by just giving them a ship and shooing them off into the great dark beyond. No, it actually has a it has a kind of happy ending because there are two of them made. The other one was female, and it ends up she's on this ship too as he's headed off into the void. He thinks he's going to be alone forever, but he realizes, oh no, the other one is there with me. The female aspected one. It's a happy ending. The idea of kind of an electronic immortality lends itself to a lot of ghost in the machine options as well. Maybe your character transcends into the into Solnet or flits around the mega corporations or the financial systems networks or something and is the spirit behind the data there. I think that story has been written a few times. Mm-hmm. Which puts up an interesting parallel to one of the, to the discussion that we had last time. Let's say your character doesn't want to be CEO of the new megacorp. Let's say your character wants to be the heart and soul AI of the new megacorp. There's some precedent for that. Uh, I, I have to assume that ASR's corporate leadership is not actually biological at this point. Another just dumb sci-fi aside, uh, Alistair Reynolds loves the idea of people who start integrating themselves with, with computers or artificial intelligence eventually moving on, becoming just totally beyond beyond humanity. But then as they expand their consciousness, at some point it occurs to them, wait a minute, you're kind of vulnerable if you're in one cluster of computers. And so they inevitably simply spread over the network of all computers everywhere. At that point, they're impossible to ever delete or destroy. But their thought process becomes so slow because of speed of light limitations when you're thinking across an entire solar system. 
on so many levels, you, you no longer relate to humanity, partly because you live a life totally divorced from them, partly because your time scale is now one which is incredibly slow, much, much slower than the human time scale. Interesting idea. Again, Alistair Reynolds plays with that a few times in his science fiction. Luckily, science might have an answer for that. Yeah. Quantum entanglement oh. bypasses that light speed. Andy? As a sci-fi fan, I, I have to give points to anybody who will acknowledge light speed as a limitation rather than simply writing it off on page one. And HSD, is, it's a neat universe in that it just does not immediately jump to, to fast and light travel. That's pretty cool. One final nod, both to ASR and the Black Mirror series. Another form of immortality that ASR dabbles in is the uh, sort of downloaded soul, downloaded mind idea. And Black Mirror used this really effectively in an episode about uh, a criminal who's being interrogated, first by the government, I think later by a vindictive lover. His personality is extracted, put into a little thumb drive, and people can run simulations on it, can digitally torture the poor thing forever. And this seems to be a possible fate for anybody that owes too much to ASR or that is too valuable a resource for ASR to let go of forever. They might end up being digitized and hopefully a copy of the person's mind is made and not simply, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Used, broken, and discarded? Yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah that'll, that'll do. Uh, I should also mention, I was, I was reading that, I can't remember the name of the, of the author, but he wrote a series called, well, a, a book called Altered Carbon. It's a moderately near future where we have a whole bunch of people's, the, the notion of people's minds being digitized and fed around. One of the ideas he plays with in one of his books is that a criminal sentence is your body is given to the police so that police can put their personalities in, into your body to do dangerous things. Nah. And if you don't come back, well, shouldn't have gone to jail. <laughs> but Altered Carbon is going to be coming out as a Netflix series pretty soon. Oh, but, indeed. Yeah, I'm kind of excited by that. I feel like ASR is one of the more optimistic and positive of the corporate of the megacorps. Getting this kind of dark side of it is is rewarding because of all of them, I felt they were kind of the nicest and the least actively malign. That's an opinion. That's an interesting opinion. But I think you do have one point. The the machines can flay you alive and use your body for biological parts while maintaining a very nice mindset. While he's thinking, just as I think the, the, the plot of Altered Carbon is a policeman is hired by the simulation of a dead businessman to investigate who killed his biological self. Cool, huh? Neat. That's a good story. Yeah. Very circular. This is maybe more Final Quest than Final Destiny, but they're kind of inseparable ideas in certain ways. The uh, journey to the monolith is played out in 2001. Mm -hmm. And that is a very, for all its incomprehensibility, 2001, the movie is an epic destiny story. A person goes to the source of all intelligence and moves beyond it to a very surreal world beyond. To whatever is beyond. Yeah. Which is a, a baby and an old man and, and something, something, something I've, I've lost the plot, but the monolith is there under the, ICs of Europa waiting for us. And as if not an epic conclusion to the character, the final showdown scene for a campaign is certainly a, uh, a good GM option. Well, the, the core identifier of a transcendence point is that 
on this side of the transcendence, you have no idea what's beyond. And once you transverse that transcendence, you either cannot or have absolutely no reason to return back. If information can travel across it, it's not a true transcendence. Hmm. I guess the uh, truth is in the advertisement there. <laughs> it almost writes itself. <laughs> so my notes seem to be a little bit spare on the social side of things, but Ashtar off camera pointed out that we covered that fairly heavily last last episode in the quest to become CEO. It was... Which I'd filed under finance. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It was less so that as, I mean, something that I kind of alluded to on the physicality side, the epic destinies that we've been talking about, the game ending missions and transcendence, don't really have any parallels on the social side. You, you don't necessarily become the next universally known pop idol and then disappear from the cultural world forever so you don't tarnish your image. You, well, no, you, you overdose. Yeah, you, you hang around to become the villain. Yeah. Or to become the sad, broken wreck that hangs around on reality TV shows mm -hmm. and reaches and tugs at the hem of the third tier C-listers. <laughs> or, or president. <laughs> <laughs> the... Um... I think the return to earth plotline may fold into this a little bit because you're going back to like racial origins and things like that. So kind of the Terran Messiah might let people return to the homeland. The what's the word, the exile that the vectors probably don't see themselves in, but I think there's the suggestion of that could come to an end and people could get back to the Goldilocks zone and return home. Mm -hmm. That would be kind of a social pinnacle of a character's, um, I suppose that makes a lot of sense. That's not necessarily putting you as a physical or mental immortality, since both of those actually live in the other categories we were talking about. That's bringing you more into a, maybe not immortality, but you're, you're such an icon of the culture at that point that society will not forget you or will not forget your accomplishments for hundreds of years. Yeah, the first plot arc of HSD was a diaspora sort of game. The homeland was destroyed and the people were... Well, they found a new, a new homeland, but it wasn't ideal. And for a long time, people were looking back to Terra as as their home. That's kind of faded into the backdrop, and Mars is now officially the designated corporate paradise. But the story of returning there, of being the Terran Kwisatz Haderach, could be a really powerful one. How else would you, would you live on in social memory for forever? I had one more thought, which is kind of a little bit of the, the sort of the feral retreat thing, which is that um, this is really abstract. So hear me out. The F-O-A-E, the feo, fe, fa, the um, foyer, foyer, and the foyer, the foyer, <laughs> the um, the organisms that are native to Europa's ecosystem. Um, they're telepathic at some in some ways. They are at least able to communicate empathically, and this may be tied to their transcendent nature. This may be just an inherent part of them. It may be why there are occasional mass suicides on Europa's surface. We don't entirely know. But there is a swarm of creatures that can communicate empathically, telepathically, through higher energies. We really don't know. 
and a character that seeks communion with them has kind of a prescripted plot arc and end as they maybe lose themselves or become the foyer whisperer or some such. Uh, it's kind of like the end of uh, Avatar where the characters bond with the great life tree mm-hmm. and there's a massive percussion scene. Again, kind of diffusing yourself into the great web somehow. Mm-hmm. But the, the foyer whisperer would be kind of my other like semi-social end goal end game because you're binding yourself to this telepathic web. Ah, it's a stretch. It's not too much of a stretch. But I have a couple of other examples to toss out. I think that while we're on the social thing, anything that roils the social fabric of the game enough that it's almost not HSD anymore, or it takes into a really different place, would probably qualify as an epic destiny at this point. So the guy that brought down the cred system and the uh, and broke the ledger in the uh, fight club. I mean, I would leave that for financial, but yes, very okay, much so. Right. Hoisted by my own petard. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, one example that I might have would be, let's say, someone that brings one of the other races or one of the other things that are not spoken of into the limelight and into society as a functional equivalent. So perhaps you bring the brain bugs out of obscurity and oppression into equivalent standing with the rest of the vector society, or you, you bring the remnants of what's on Earth out of earth and into some sort of semi-peaceful society instead of just being completely on the outskirts. Yeah, Sound and Silence has a lot of hints that some of the monstrous races are much more intelligent than simple monsters. Mm -hmm. And that, the exonyms, those do give places for like the great diplomat character to really shine. And uh, that would be like a career highlight for sure. Or while we're on the subject of Unless the you great get diplomat, eaten by X and M. <laughs> yeah, try try not to do that. On the bright side, it'll carry on your work. <laughs> <laughs> while we're on the subject of the great diplomat at Epic Destinies, on that, I noticed that there were not really any notes under what IRPF might be able to push into. I just don't see greatness and IRPF going together somehow. I don't know why. It's like you're more cog there than anybody else. Well, we're talking about reshaping vector society. IRPF is primarily a military. They could change a decent amount of society and reorganize from a commercially dominated zone into an authoritarian or a military dictatorship type power. So that's that's the great dictator sort of position. In a way. Um or you could take that, you could spin that in a more friendly version and put together more of an alliance of captains or an alliance of people and basically reshape the fabric of society from a capitalistic one into maybe a more utopian one or maybe a more authoritarian type society. And I think if you're going to talk about social epic destinies, that's kind of front and center. I'd just like to pound the table and yell, RPF is a good cop. Well, if, if the best the IRPF has to offer births the, the Federation Accord in in Seoul, that that will live on in society for a while. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a RPG slash 60s science fiction trope of the uh, sort of immortal tavern keeper, uh, the retired adventurer that goes on to open the tavern that everybody meets at. In, in sci-fi, Callahan's Cross Time Saloon kind of falls into this one. It's a humor world, but 
still, that's a um, not really a character end, but that's fading into the backdrop as a potentially powerful, influential NPC. You're shaping the future through the next generation of adventurers in a small and tropey and silly way. But still, the drifting space stations in the void could have more than their share of interplanetary taverns. More of a comedic end, but still a satisfying end for somebody that's finally put up their last arrival. There's an in, a small indie webcomic that I'm remembering now. It's called Red Fox. The titular character was just a redheaded barmaid. At one point, this old grizzled adventurer woman, woman with an eye patch came in and she played cards with her for her life. And the barmaid won. And the adventure says, okay, you can kill me now. And says, no, no, I, I want your life. You, you, you get the bar and you teach me to be an adventurer. And then she went on to be the, the adventurer of the comic book. The kind of the exact opposite, opposite of what you're describing. <laughs> the corporate route opens up any number of measures of literal immortality. I mean, as a board member, you're likely to be one of the very few that is able to preserve their life as long as they see fit to live. Just by the nature of the self-serving society that Vectordom has created. Certainly corp CEOs could manage that, possibly shadow presidents, but they seem to run generationally, so maybe not so much them. And as we talked about last episode, becoming the CEO of even a very large corporation, or certainly a megacorp, is it's the outer limit of many campaigns' playable options. I think another way to phrase the epic destiny or the end of the character really becomes it exceeds the storyteller's ability to craft a compelling story. Yeah. At, at a certain point, you you almost hit just a limit of the imagination to even comprehend what type of daily challenges might face such a character. Mm -hmm. And that's about the transcendent point for the story. Well, in the end of a lot of high-level corporation types is physical or character assassination. <laughs> so uh, th those kind of contain their own end of story on there. I don't quite remember the story, but th there is one final one that kind of springs to mind that is squarely in the social. So in such a large cross-cultural, hyper-connected environment, um, society will sooner or later start coalescing on one perfect beauty, perfect celebrity, perfect model, what have you. And that might change minute to minute, hour to hour or whatever. But still, there's going to one, there's going to be one, one look or one um, <laughs> physical that is just the pinnacle that is just the model at the point. And going through a body modification or a change to become that one perfect model or that one perfect persona or that one perfect celebrity, you kind of at that point fall into almost a um, binder full of clones of people who have made themselves be the exact same, but everybody is at that one point just the perfect social animal. And there's a, there's a certain amount of ending of the person um, but a pinnacle of your career or a pinnacle of your desire at that point to kind of just become beauty incarnate. There's a, a short story called Sand Kings. I think it was made into a two episode TV show as well, where not very nice person gets a hold of these battling bugs. They're kind of red versus blue and they 
build little temples to him in their sand and wage war in his name. And he becomes a mighty God or a devastating tyrant, depending on what side of the bug war he's on as they build icons in his image and they escape and they build even larger obelisks to his glory or infamy. And in the final scene, they've crafted themselves to look like him, to look like their master. So the kind of dystopian version of what you were just saying is the person that's become the social pinnacle of beauty looks out over the room and sees dozens of herself looking back at her. And that's sort of a form of horror on its own. <laughs> huh. The the Sherry Tepper book, The Companions, which I think I mentioned before, imagine it, it takes place in a dystopian one city earth where all animals are, have been eliminated to make room for more space for man. Um, the leader of the dying sect of people that are trying to preserve non-human animal life uh, has taken on this particular alien god and likes to reference him with his silly by Zeus or whatever expressions. Someone eventually asked him, was like, why are you revering that alien god? It's like, well, it's the only alien god I've ever heard of who never made anything in his own image. Follow that with something that makes sense. <laughs> So the tarot deck, um, <laughs> there we go. Uh, the great, the major icon of the tarot deck is you know twenty cards. It's got strength and death and the tower and etc. The first one is the the fool, which shows a young innocent person kind of wandering around with a puppy dog dancing at his feet, and he's got all of his possessions in a small uh, bag on a stick, and he's he's full of possibilities and young naive hope. The tarot is some people. Some people have said is uh, kind of a. Some people have suggested that the tarot is an allegory for the journey of life, and the final card in the major arcana is the hermit, and that's the fool's ultimate destination is having learned everything he's retreated from the world, and that's its own its own destiny, um, kind of finding solace in Ganymede or Dagobah or something along those lines and retreating entirely into yourself and into the darkness. Well, that's a really neat little story. I, I don't really get why you'd want to live in a swamp and eat bugs every day, but Hey, you know, maybe, maybe that's your perfect ideal. They're low carb. Well, well, the trick is that you hide a buy spot somewhere in there <laughs> <laughs> and then podcast from your solitary. <laughs> Confines. Oh. <laughs> the, the, the House Pets series, my very favorite cartoon of that entire series, involves the, the Pomeranian character. What, what's her name? Is, is her name Tarot? Yeah. Who has mystical, magical powers and also plays a Tarot decks. But at one point, one of the other dogs is looking at the Tarot deck and like looking at the death card. It's like, oh, this means death, right? And she's like, no, no, it's way more complex than that. The death card really means, and she goes on with all the different interpretations. So she picks up another one and says, the well, tower. The, the, the tower, what does the tower mean? She says, death. <laughs> well, guys, it's getting late, and I can see that we're reaching the longest night very soon. And on lovely, lovely Deimos, I don't know how long that'll be. <laughs> we, uh, so... Stay warm, happy holiday of choice, and uh, catch you outro line. Intro music is Future Club, and outro music is Chronicles, both by Serious Beat. 
This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not-for-profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, RadioFreeDemos.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan-driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. But something that ties to that vast telepathic web is kind of like the end of Blue Cat movie people help with hair sex. Oh, Avatar. It's... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I slipped a cog there.